Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate and say what an awesome camp it was and it's been such a special time down there and even through the week there was sort of like an afterglow the whole time. I still feel it now actually and a little slice of the kingdom. It was really nice, really good, really inspiring. So uh, while I'm standing here, you might just want to turn to Revelation 7, I'm oh, sorry, Revelation 12, verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. And you can see the question up there. It's a question that finds its origins in today's passage, which you'll see very clearly shortly. The question is, do you hold to the testimony of Jesus? So as you know, we're going through Revelation 12. Uh, we did part one a few weeks ago. I encourage you to go back and have a look at our Revelation Do These Words series, which is online. There's a lot of kind of theology in that first part where we look at the main characters, look at who the woman is in this passage, look at who the dragon is, look at what's going on throughout history. And this week I want to get a little bit more practical, I guess, about what it means for us today. And again, it's that question of, do you hold to the testimony of Jesus and what does that actually mean? And while we're talking about Revelation, I was out flying the other night and I had this sort of sense of, I don't know, maybe an illustration. Uh, so that there is night vision goggles. I've got my camera um, with my phone actually up against the, the focal point or the focal lens of the MVGs between my eye and my helmet. So it's kind of a little bit awkward. But we landed in a pad out there and you can kind of see that night vision goggles give you vision. They allow you to see something that you wouldn't otherwise see. If you were out there without night vision goggles, it would be pitch black. There was no moon. All you would hear is the roar of these two T700 engines and the rotor blades smacking the air in a submission. And you'd be wondering, what is going on? If you had your own set of MVGs, you would be able to quickly see the source of that roar and the source of that kind of disturbance. And in the same way, when we look across history and we look across... Uh, uh, the, the events of the world today, there's kind of this roar and this kind of chaos and it feels like it's out of control. If only you had night vision goggles so you could see what through the darkness, see what's really going on, see through the confusion. And I really believe Revelation should never be talked about as an esoteric, mystical kind of, you know, apocalyptic book that we don't understand. I really believe it should be talked about as a book that actually speaks directly to our hearts. And I've tried to explain that in the past by talking about how he might talk about a, a person who appears to be good, appears to be nice, but then later on we find out someone close to him talks about them as a beast of a man, as a pig of a man, as a monster of a man. And all of a sudden you get clarity in the heart about who that person really is. Same, same with all the imagery and stuff that we see in Revelation. So I want to see how things really are. And if we could just put on our Revelation MVGs for today, and you might not like the way I interpret Revelation, uh, maybe you don't like the way I do my theology sometimes. I just ask you to bear with me, okay? Um, and I just want you to, I guess, humble yourself and just think about the Word of God and think about what He wants you to know today. It doesn't really matter about me. If I could just get out of the way and could just be like an immaterial voice speaking, then it might be better because then you wouldn't see all the distractions. Um, but what I want to say today is that someone has a hit on your life. Does everyone understand what it means to have a hit on your life? You know, if you go to the Urban Dictionary, it'll tell you that someone has put a warrant or a, a, a kill list uh, with your name on it. Uh, you see that on movies, CSI and all that kind of stuff, someone puts a hit on someone else. So what I want to tell you today is that if you put on the Revelation MVGs, there is a hit on your eternal life. There's a, there's a hit list, your name's on it. There's a hit on your spiritual life. There's a hit on your eternal life. 
And what I'm asking you to do is like, just kind of look around, look through uh, Revelation with me. And again, you might go, this Revelation is a load of rubbish. This Bible is a load of rubbish. I'm just asking you to consider for a moment without me having to do a whole bunch of apologetics and look at antiquity and look at historical evidence and so just, just for a moment, just consider that what we're about to go through is actually true and authentic and is what is really going on. So if we look around, again, you know, look around at each face here and think to yourself, um, if you're following Jesus and you're following, to, following his testimony, holding, holding to his testimony, then no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter how powerful you are, there's, there's a hit, there's a hit on your life. And again, you might say, really? Come on. And again, I'm just asking you to, to consider. So let's, let's just read. And again, there's an element of understanding that is completely on you. Okay? There's an element that's on me. There's an element that's on the text. Understanding doesn't just come from any one of those three things. It comes from all three things. So the authority of the word of God is powerful and awesome. Okay? But your brains can sometimes be distracted. Or a lot of the times can be distracted. I'm the same. All right. So there's an element on us now to really ask for the power of the Spirit to understand, to listen. And there's an element on me to really have bowed the knee, to, to be praying, to asking, asking God what He wants to bring out today. Because the Word of God is a deep well and there's many things in there. So I'm just asking you to consider that. And I might just pray for us. And you might want to pray along with me. And just say amen if you agree with the prayer. Because these are, these are weighty words. Father, thank you so much for this awesome passage of angelic armies and warriors and of victory. But, oh Lord, we live in the 21st century. We're busy people. We're distracted people. So I just ask that you would help us today to listen, to understand what it means to hold to your testimony, to hold to the testimony of Jesus. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read from verse 7 of chapter 12 in Revelation. I'm reading from the NIV. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. There was something more important to them than even their own lives. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, and he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman, the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. That's uh, a year, generally, but it could be any sort of period of time. We'll talk about that later. 
The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So again, I'm going to start, well not again, I'm going to start at the end today with that last verse, verse 17. The dragon was enraged, enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I'm going to start there. And again, I'm going to ask this question, do you hold to the testimony of Jesus? So look around because the dragon has you on his hit list. So think about that. Think about that for a moment. If I just told you some Joe Blow down the street, I oh, know mafia dude or whatever, had a hit on your list, uh, had a hit on yours, had a hit on your life, what would you want to do? If you're me, I might, I don't know, move. I might think, well, why? Like, I might go in a negotiation. I might uh, call some of my army buddies, take him out first. You know, what, like, well, you, you'd take it seriously, wouldn't you? So how much more your eternal life? Like how much more your spiritual life, your real life? All of you are just like living metaphors at the moment. Not your real life hasn't started yet. Well, it has, but not in fullness. So how much more that? Who is this hit man anyway? Well, we're told in verse 9 it's the dragon, which again, it's this kind of idea of a pig of a man, a beast of a man. You really want to know what, the, what Satan is like. Think about the dragon, not cute dragons, Okay. Think more about, we were talking about this the other day, think more about the dragon in The Hobbit, you know, super smart. And because he's super smart and super ugly and super powerful, kind of super scary. It's all right if a beast is kind of, you know, unintelligent. So again, we're kind of getting this image that is this, this beast, this, this being, Satan or the devil, who leads the whole world astray, is someone to kind of think about in a way. And of course... You know, we shouldn't be surprised that this dragon, Satan, devil is, has got us on his hit list. Remember 1 Peter? If you're reading the rest of the Bible, you quickly pick up that there is a malevolent force, a malevolent being out there. Remember 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, who? The devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to take down. And he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So given that he's got a hit on our lives, there's a couple of things you should know from Revelation. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to go through uh, what you should know, what you shouldn't do, and then what you should do. And the first thing I want us to know is that from this hit man, God delivers. Again, please go back to the sermon we did a couple of weeks ago on this, and you'll see throughout history, God has delivered us. We saw back in verses 5 and 6 that the child was snatched up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God. So we saw that the child was actually Jesus, and that Jesus, and we've got a, kind of got a snapshot of the gospel there, that Jesus does his thing, he then ascends into heaven, he's going to rule the whole world. Um, but we see that all throughout history, throughout particularly the, the history of Israel, there was constantly this kind of trajectory towards taking down, consuming, devouring the firstborn. 
There was always this kind of thing in Egypt, you know, take down the firstborn. Then we saw it in Bethlehem, take down the firstborn. These were pictures of Satan's intent to try and destroy the hope of the world because Israel, the woman, the woman was going to bring forth the hope of the world. They were chosen so that other people could be chosen. They were chosen so that other people could be grafted in. They were chosen so that the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come through them, would actually save the world, would save other people. And of course, Satan doesn't want that. But God's not going to be thwarted by that. He's not going to be thwarted by human failings as Israel failed. Instead, he will deliver. He will continue to provide his message of deliverance. And so I just want you to to think about that. If that's God's trajectory, that's God's agenda, you know, the same God that Rick led us in so well before, all his attributes, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his imminence, his nearness to us, his power. That's kind of a cool thing to remember, isn't it, in those moments? What else should you know? What else should you know about this hitman? Uh, what else should you know? So, I just want you to know that the hitman's power, his power base, his authority that he has over people is completely decimated by Jesus and what he accomplishes on the cross. Again, please bear with me, okay? Because you guys have heard this so many times that it becomes a cliche. Oh, he's talking about Jesus again. Give me something else. Give me, give me some interesting tidbit. Tell me a story. Give me an acronym. You know, listen to this bit. Jesus decimates Satan's power. We see that in verses uh, 1 to 6. There's the woman. She's about to give birth to the child. The dragon wants to devour. God delivers. That means, guess what? The son does his thing. The son lives a perfect life, a life of love, a life of service. He preaches for three years. The son, the king, the man-child there, he goes to the cross. He saturates the wood with his blood. He goes to the tomb. The tomb is, what happens to the tomb? Tell me the story. Its tomb is open. The tomb is cracked open, right? He is ascended to heaven where right now he rules. And because of that, the hitman's power is decimated. Now, what you have to understand in these two passages literarily is that one to six is a parallel, sort of a more broad focus, a parallel of seven to 17. So it's kind of cool because he sets it up in parallel. He shows what's happening with the dragon, the woman, the sun, and then the next bit he shows what's happening in heaven because of what's happened on the cross. So while Jesus is suffering and dying, demonic forces, including Satan and the dragon, gleefully watch. And last, last time I told you about yeah, put that nail in and twist it, hurt him, make him feel it. And they, they are ready to celebrate. And then all of a sudden, Jesus has risen from the grave. He has completely borne the wrath of God. So every single sin that you have is on him. Guess what happened to Satan's power base? It's gone. He's been sitting there in heaven. He's had access to heaven. We don't really know how all that works, but he has access to heaven. There are things going on, trans-dimensional places that we have no idea about. Uh, he's there, right? He's there on the throne. And what he's doing is he's accusing all the time. Satan, name from Hebrew, literally means accuse, uh, accusing, accuse. So he's Satan's. He's Satan's all the time. Luke does something. I do something. You guys do something. Oh, look at that. Look, look what they did. And because God is holy and just, he has to... 
judge. So you see what Satan's been doing? He's been attempting to use God's power against God's people that he loves. But now, no matter what happens, forevermore, that power base is gone. His power is decimated over your eternal life. That's why Colossians says, and again, if you're reading your Bible, you'll see this in other places. You'll see it. It'll soak into your soul. It'll inspire you. It'll enliven you. It'll feed you. Colossians 2 says that having cancelled the written code, that's Jesus, with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. So Satan took the good and perfect law and then began to accuse us because we fail all the time, trying to get God's wrath to come down as it justly should. Now Jesus has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And what's that next bit that we talk about so often? Think about angelic armies, Satan's uh, angels, Satan's demons, all there, you know, gleefully gloating over God's people who fail all the time. And then this bit, uh, verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. That's Jesus. Satan's power, completely decimated. That's why John says in his letter, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is righteous, just as he is righteous. Um, he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Does anyone remember? Destroy the devil's work. Destroy the devil's work. We just heard about Mary. We heard about... Um, the terrible atrocities that are being committed against her and probably many other children as well. That's Satan stirring that up. Yes, it's people that are evil, but it's also Satan stirring that up. And we should remember that there is no pure evil being. There is just, as the Bible points out, something good or someone good that has gone wrong, that has gone bad. And so these people, I was so glad that you know, we prayed for Mary and we also prayed for this man. How? That's because the powers and authorities have been disarmed. Otherwise, there'll be no hope for that man. Now there's hope. And do not be mocked. Do not think that God is going to let this go on forever. He will not. That's our great hope as well. I'm going to get to that in a second. Hebrews says that the children that have um, flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity, that's God, that man-child, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those whose lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And this is why I said before, once that cross is saturated with the blood of the lamb, who is also the lion, who is also the king, once that tomb is uh, emptied, once Jesus has paid for every accusation that Satan could ever muster, the hitman's accusations that are so uh, soul-destroying, literally, eternally life-destroying, are gone. They're gone. And it's kind of funny, if I say this, you'll think, oh, it's a bit of a weird turn of phrase, but it's actually true. Jesus has de-Satanized Satan. I'll say that again. Jesus has de-Satanized Satan. Do you get it? Because his name means accuser. <laughs> so he's de-accused him. He's de-Satanized him. And there's nothing that he can make stick against you. 
Now, this does not mean that you are free to sin. How dare you think that even? I'm not saying you, but anyone. You know, um, to dishonour what God has done for us to free us from sin so that we might live holy, lovely, spectacular, wonderful, obedient lives. Like, that is the best way for all of us. That's the best way for Mary over there. That's the best way for anyone who's suffering is to, to live the life that God has called us to. So no, 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 it doesn't give us free reign to sin at all. But what it does is it frees us. It frees us from accusation. It frees us from the power of death. That's why we're told that death no longer has a sting. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Like we've said many times before at this church, the worst day of your life for a Christian who loves the Lord Jesus becomes the best day. So again, put on your Revelation MVGs with me for a moment and we see the, the heavenly implications. And I want you to just soak in this metaphor that we're given. It may not be a metaphor. It could have been what really happened. In some way, it's got all the same aspects. Anyway, um, and it's in verse 9 there. The great dragon is hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, who leads the whole world astray. He's hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So at the point of the cross, Satan may well be, I don't know, I don't know how it works. Maybe he went back to accuse again. Who knows? Maybe he was still there accusing. And... Uh, you know, maybe he's even accusing all the people that are killing Jesus. He's right there, and all of a sudden the tomb cracks open. God's wrath is fulfilled. There's no power over us anymore. And God goes, that's it, you're done. You are done. You're done, Satan. You no longer have access. You no longer have the right to accuse. It is done. And Satan, being Satan, resists. So God sends Michael in. And he sascats his special forces, his SAS and they take care of business. They take care of business. Yeah, and like Michael's, <laughs> yeah, Michael is not even close to the throne like those other heavenly beings we've seen earlier in Revelation. So as far as I can tell, yes, he's an archangel. He's extremely powerful and you would be trembling in your socks if he showed up here today. But he's sort of down there somewhere. And he's probably gone, oh, at last. <laughs> at last. And he's gone over to his you know, special forces and he's gone, this is it, guys. We're taking him down. And Satan just like, like a comet around. <laughs> Smack. And I hope it hurt. Smack. Down he goes. And from then on, that's why the song or the, or the, the voice that we see here shortly um, says that now has come the salvation. Now has come the kingdom. Because now whatever happens with all these little skirmishes and things that are going on, the kingdom has come now. That's why Jesus was so intent on saying over and over again, repent for the kingdom, is, uh, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's come now because of the cross, because of his presence, because of his power. And that's just magnificent. That's just so beautiful, you know. And so from now on, Satan is not like a... Sometimes we think of Satan as demonic hordes, almost like... Uh, this massive army, and we're kind of in this little uh, fortress somewhere, you know, hunkered down. You're just so wrong in that. Like, it's just so dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just so excited about this today because you know what he is? He's actually a terrorist. He is a spiritual terrorist. You know what terrorists do? They kill one to scare a thousand. That's what they do. So he kind of, you know... He's got this limited power. He knows that. He's got this limited time. 
And he's just constantly off, uh, operating from fear and deceit. But he's just a spiritual terrorist. He's got no lasting power. And he knows his time is short. Satan has got out. So what shouldn't you do with all that in mind? You know, verse 12 says that he's filled with fury. He knows his time is short. And even the voice from heaven says, woe to the earth and the sea. Yeah, like, it's not good that he's with us now. Uh, not good at all. But what shouldn't you do? And again, you know, you might be thinking, wowzers, he's like red hot angry with me and he's got a hit on me. And Okay, what shouldn't you do? Don't freak out, okay? Don't freak out. Don't freak out. And what I mean by that is don't sell out. Don't cave in. This is the motif for Revelation of do the words. Don't sell out. Don't cave in. You know, apart from the spectacular truths, as if they were really even needed in a part, but that God has delivered through Jesus Christ, and that is available to anyone who will just, who just, who just purpose to repent of sin and follow him for the rest of their lives and get to know him better. Apart from the fact that he's decimated, Jesus has decimated Satan's power, has de-Satanized him, de-accused him, made him a spectacle, as if there was, wasn't enough. There's, there's another two good reasons not to freak out, not to cave in, not to sell out. One is that the time has been cut. So I only just saw this in the last few days and I was like, oh, that's cool. Why hadn't I not noticed that before? So these time periods, like for instance in verse 6, it talks about the woman being prepared um, or taken to a place in the desert. So some sort of deliverance will come and it goes for how many days there? 1,260, okay? And then in verse 14, again, it's in parallel. So, so it's a parallel account, just giving us a bit more detail to what we just saw there. So... This time, though, we're told it's a time, times, and half a time. In verse 14, she's given the two wings of a great eagle. It's part of God's deliverance. We don't know all the detail of that. Just like when you look through goggles, MVGs, you only see sort of contours and detail. You don't see every colour. Um, one day we will, though. Okay. Um, so time, time, and half a time. So we know from Daniel that what's a time generally? It's a year. You can look this up yourself. Most scholars agree that it's a year. But then most scholars also agree that these times could just be a symbolic representation of a preset period. So I don't know myself, okay? But if you go back to Daniel, what are we told will be sort of the great tribulation and the time of trouble and the time of trial, which is what we're in here? Well, no, it's actually seven. We're told it will be seven years. Three and a half are bad and then something happens in the center and then it keeps going. But do you see what it is here? What's a time, time, and half a time? Three and a half, three and a half years. What's 1260 days in the Hebrew calendar? We went through this last time. Three and a half years. What's three and a half divided by seven? A half. Okay, what the half means? No. <laughs> okay, I can see I lost some of you. All right, just think about it as a time. If the time's cut in half, what's happened to it? been cut short. It's been cut short. Let's read. Matthew, and again, if you want to get a broad picture, there's many kind of accounts, but Matthew 24 gives you a, a lot more uh, of a 6,000 foot overfly kind of a lot of this. But Jesus says that then there'll be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days have been shortened. So God's elect was Israel. God's chosen people were Israel. Now the Gentiles can bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ so they can be grafted in and become the elect. And for the sake of those people, God says, you know what, we're going to cut short. Now, 
I don't know how that works with God's sovereignty. I just know he loves us. And he just knows that if we, what we can handle and what we can't handle. And he has ultimate purposes for suffering. We, we don't know what they are. I just trust that there's some higher moral purpose that God has as yet probably hidden from us. But I just love the fact that he loves us and he says, I'm going to cut short that time. So that's one reason. But here's the biggest reason. Emmanuel. Jesus has so many names, images. Um, he has lion, lamb, king, high priest. And this one, Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God is with us. Do you know where, how do we know that's what it means? Bit of a, it's a song. And where's the song come from? Isaiah, yep. And, and can you remember in the New Testament where it's mentioned again? In the Christmas story, remember? Matthew, yeah, close, Matthew. I wouldn't know if, if, unless I looked it up. Um, so in Matthew, it says, the virgin, which he's quoting from Isaiah, the virgin will be a child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Now, Jesus says a strange thing and Andrew last week picked up on this a little bit and talked about it a little bit. He says a strange thing at the end of Matthew. He says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Then what happens? He leaves. So I'm with you. Bye. Have you ever wondered about that? It's important to me because when I was baptised, um, that's what my grandfather, my opa, prayed over me. I'm with you always to the end of the age. That became very important to me later on. That's because Jesus has also said this in John 14. He says, if you love me, you obey what I command. And his command all through John is to trust him, is to believe in him, to depend on him. Okay? And all the other commands will flow out of that. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, if we are promised the Holy Spirit, when we bend the knees, this transcendent moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon us, inhabits us, we're washed clean. We saw that picture so well of being immersed into Christ and coming out in the baptisms last week. Um, can anyone point out the verse to me where in the time of revelation and the tribulations and the trials that that has been revoked? No, never. It's never revoked. It's never revoked. So now think about that. In all the trials and tribulations and the judgments and the horrible things that are happening demonically, Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, fulfills his promise that I am with you until the end of the age. I want you, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, if you remember nothing else, and you face a dark moment in the next week, maybe you're facing it right now, I want you to remember, I want this name just to burn into your heart and your mind, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. You can pray that, Emmanuel. You just pray it over and over, Lord, Emmanuel, help me, save me, change me, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. This is a little picture, a friend of mine, some of you might recognise him. Um, he's got a worried look on his face <laughs> because we... We're down at um, Laidley Creek Falls and it's a remote camping area. It's hard to get into. And I wanted to take some youth down there, but I wanted to go and recce it myself first. And when I went to think about it and I looked at the terrain, I was going, oh, I don't really want to go in there myself. Pretty tough going. Steep terrain. There's like 500, 1,000 foot kind of cliffs and stuff. That's one of them just near there. And um, so no, no iPhone back then in the day, just normal cameras. And so I set it up on a timer and I said, Con Stu, Stuart people, let's, uh, 
let's take a photo together. So he's really scared of heights and he went up the, went up the hill. I've got another one of him like, anyway, it's a bit, looking a bit scary. But so um, I kind of timed in my head because I knew it was a 10 second timer. And just as the time went off, I grabbed him. <laughs> so that's why he's like that. And I am, I'm very mean. But hey, like I was only young, I was only 35. And um, you know, anyway, so uh, the whole point of that though is that when we went up there, there was lots of kind of hardship just to get up there. It's a really steep trail, lots of rocks twisting your ankle and that kind of stuff. And we were bush bashing for a while. Having him with me was 100% oh, better. 100% better because if you're by yourself, oh man, it's just all on you. But when you've got someone with you, it doesn't matter so much about the hardship. How much more so Emmanuel? And I firmly believe that the harder it gets for you in life, the more rich, the more uh, intimate will be the relationship with Emmanuel. You, you study the accounts of the martyrs and you'll see that. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That's a beautiful thing. Remember that name. So we finish up now with uh, do these words. Okay. Uh, you know, we've kind of talked about do these words a fair bit. Uh, and I get that from the start of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, Blessed is the one who holds on to who does these words. That's why I say before, don't talk about Revelation anymore as though it's this esoteric kind of book. It's a book that's to be done. It's a book that is to see you through to the end when Jesus finally sets everything right and his kingdom comes in its fullness. So what do we, what do, we do with all this today? I said, don't freak out. Don't cave in. Don't sell out. Um, but here it is in verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So the do the words part today is to hold to the testimony. Hold to the testimony. So in verse 11, hold actually means not just as in hold on, it actually means to have as well. So it's to have and to hold the testimony. And then testimony is actually from that Greek word where we get the same word for martyr, which simply means witness. So for you to have and to hold the testimony is to be a witness. So if you have and hold the witness of Jesus, your life will look like, uh, your life will smell like, feel like, sound like, taste like Jesus' life. It, it'll just be echoing his life. Um, and all that he's asking you to do, he's given you a manual, he's given you his Holy Spirit. What he's asking you to do then is to love and to serve and to grow. And you might, you know, I know there'd be objections to our vision that's up there and on the, the painting that Sarah did for us and really thank her for that and the Rudgers presented to us, love, serve, grow. And one of the objections would be, oh, you don't even mention Jesus. And to them I would say, look harder. Look harder because that here to love, here to serve, here to grow, and serve is just love with arms and feet and you know, doing stuff. Uh, that here to love, here to serve, here to grow emerged out of a study, an in-depth study of the Gospel of Mark where we studied the testimony of Jesus. And you can go back and look at that in earlier days. And the testimony of Jesus, the life of Jesus is one of love, service, and building his church and growing. So... It was funny because when I had this up on my screen, the reminder came up to bring the painting today. It was exi exactly as I put this here. So anyway, it was a bit weird. Um, so uh, as you get older, 
and trials will come. Might be not that great trial, the great tribulation. Will you hold to his testimony? Will you continue to love and serve and grow? Will you continue to speak of Jesus in sickness, in insults, in conflict, in relationship breakdowns, in sin, when you trip and stumble and fall and hurt people? We just give up like in a bad soccer game where you're kicking the ball and then you just put your head down because you made a mistake and you won't put your head up again. No, that's not what God wants for you. De-Satanize, de-accuse. There's no accusation against you. All you need to do in that moment is just confess, repent. And if there's something that's right now that's kind of blocking that relationship, just repent. But will you still be holding to the testimony? And I want to finish off with two songs as we lead into communion. Communion today is going to be a victory celebration, okay? We're going to remember Jesus, but it's going to be a victory celebration. It's going to be a victory meal. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But the best way, I think, to sum up my sermon is with two songs. One's from Revelation in this passage, and one is relatively recent from a guy called Crowder. Some of you thought I was going to go to Striper to hell with the devil, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. So, um, so remembering, Satan is decimated, he's de-Satanized, he's de-accused. We have deliverance, we have Emmanuel companionship. That's why I love this song by Crowder. I'm not going to read all of it, but he says, uh, the, it's called Run, Devil, Run. He says, devil's going to try and take a shot at me. The way that shot will come is deceit, trying to tempt you with like short-term kind of near horizon kind of pleasures rather than like the long-term horizon of being in the kingdom. Put that to the side. Then he says, he's got none, but baby, I got three. When he sings it, it sounds a lot more cool. But he's got none, but baby, I got three. I got the King of Kings and the Lord of hosts. I've got angel armies and a holy ghost. I've got spirits here that are tried by fire. I've got valley of bones that came alive. I've got a cross, a hill, an empty grave. I've got a trumpet sound and one sweet name. Shake the gate of hell, uh, hell the sinners and dogs. i got my Jesus and the devil got to run. i got something that will make the devil run. Amen. <laughs> 1 John 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one that is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That word is the same kind of comparative word as mega. The one that is in you is mega <laughs> compared to the one that is in the world. Run, devil, run. And the second song, all this, there's so many songs in Revelation, isn't there? Uh, you can imagine those kind of kingdom orchestras and bands and symphonies surrounding the, the, the throne. It doesn't actually say that this is a song in Reve uh, Revelation 12 verse 10, but it's sort of indented because the translators show that it actually probably is. Um, so it's a solo. And he says, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God. This is all in the light of Satan's fall to earth, his defeat, the victory of the cross, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much so as to shrink from death. So today, my brothers and sisters, when you think about that blood-soaked cross 
and we come to the, the communion table, we remember Jesus' victory over sin, death and Satan. And we remember that one day we will see that victory in absolute clarity. You'll see it in three dimensions, maybe five or six, I don't know. But you'll see it in its fullness. So it's really important that you understand my reality check. My reality check is simply this. Why did the house on the sand fall flat? From Jesus' parable of the kingdom, why did the house on the sand fall flat? What is the difference between the man who builds his house or the woman who builds her house on the sand and the rock? One did the words of Jesus and one didn't. I'll let you decide who that was or understand who that was. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body. Satan at that moment would have been watching that. Good on you, Jesus. <laughs> Go ahead, have a night, last meal. I know what's coming next. Then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so in that very, very somber occasion, lots of tension in the air, they drink and they eat. And we now know that what that symbolised and what that represented was victory. Comprehensive, absolute victory. And so we will remember that today together. I encourage you, I just feel like if, if, you know, if there's something that's blocking this beautiful relationship with the Lord Jesus, please, please humble yourself. Just simply pray, go, Lord, help me, uh, help me understand what it is. And, uh, and, get, and get right with God. And then come and join us in this victory meal, okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you that the dragon is defeated. The devil is disarmed. Satan is de-accused. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I pray, O Lord, that each person here would be, if there's even, oh, even just a few that think they are and they're not, just show them today. If there are others that are listening that are just deciding, Lord, speak to their hearts in a way that only you can. Grip them, Lord with these great realities of the kingdom coming. And in the meantime, Lord, we drink to you, we eat and we remember you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you in your own time, come forward, grab some bread and keep the drink and we will drink it together.